This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome everyone to the Wild West podcast, where we talk to the people shaping how we think about nature, the outdoors, and California's wild places. I'm San Francisco Chronicle travel editor Greg Thomas, and this pod is a place where I interview adventure athletes and environmental advocates and the movers and shakers who are defining and redefining what we do when we go outdoors. Today we're excited to have Rue Mapp on the podcast. Rue is the founder and CEO of a group called Outdoor Afro in Oakland, which tries to get people of color outdoors and connected with nature. Sounds pretty simple, right? Well, Rue can assure you that it is not. The outdoors um, hasn't always represented a place of safety. It has not um, always represented a place of welcoming. Um, when people are forced to work in the outdoors, you know, that's a different experience you have versus leisure. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, it begs the question of, you know, how, how, we, how we experience leisure, who gets to experience leisure, who's had the privilege of being able to go wherever they want to go and not have to worry about their lives. Rue and her group train people around the country on how to rally and organize and encourage African Americans to get together and venture into nature in all its forms, whether that means hiking or, or biking or swimming or climbing or just even going on a walk in the park. And as part of that work and through her personal experience, Rue has firsthand experience working through all kinds of difficult challenges associated with getting people who aren't necessarily familiar with the outdoors into the outdoors. Those barriers are historic, economic, cultural, and they're perpetuated in all kinds of ways that most people don't think about. I promise listening to Rue's insights will totally change the way you think about simple outdoor pleasures like going on a hike or visiting a national park. We'll get into it with Rue in just one moment, but first, this quick message. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now on to my conversation with Outdoor Afro founder and CEO, Rue Mapp. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast, Ruth. Thank you for having me. It's really great to just hop over, you know, the water um, from Oakland and and be here. So thank you. Yeah. And you actually went on a hike this morning, did you not? I did. I did. Um, After uh, breaking my foot uh, last November, I got out of the boot at the end of, of December. And today marked my first time actually on the trail. So... It felt really good because it's important for me to practice what I preach. You know, I'm talking about nature as, 
you know, a healer and a connector and a way to, you know, connect in with your, your, the, your local environment. And there was just this big hole um, that I felt that didn't, you know, align with what I was talking about because I wasn't doing it. So, yeah. Good day. Uh, yeah, what'd you get out of it this morning? How did it feel to be back outside? It felt great. I brought my dog with me. I was with my neighbor um, who I made prior arrangements to meet. And, you know, it was just lovely looking out over the Oakland Hills and the Redwoods. And it's like a homecoming every time because I grew up in that area. And, you know, being in that place where I used to run cross country in high school at Skyline High and, you know, just you know, times I'd be hanging out with my friends, you know, it just all floods back to me. So, you know, Oakland is home. And I think a way to connect with home is through nature. So my local nature means a lot to me. But it's been this jumping off point for me to connect with so many other points of nature in California. Yeah. Um, Well, before we get into it, I I just wanted to get a sense. um, I was hoping you could give a sense to people who might not be familiar with you and your story and Outdoor Afro. Um, and just kind of tell people what your organization is and does and what your your goals are. Sure, sure. So Outdoor Afro celebrates and inspires African-American connections and leadership in nature. And it really started off as a passion project. It was a blog that I started from my kitchen table back in 2009 when social media was super new and blogs were still really relevant. And I just started telling the story of growing up in Oakland, going to arts camp, and growing up in a family that migrated from Texas who brought with them their love for nature and the outdoors, so much so that they put together a ranch uh, in Nap- in, above, above Napa County where we had all kinds of livestock. We hunted, we fished, we um, you know, had a chance to grow many of our own vegetables. My dad even made wine. <laughs> Um, but it was How not was it? it was not that great. No. Um, but it was really potent. <laughs> um, but it was it was really like my laboratory growing up. Like I was able to have this relationship with my local creek where I was, you know, every time we'd go up there, which is about every other week and longer times in the summertime, I was able to see how the season would, seasons would change. I'd see the life cycle of a tadpole into a frog and um, you know, the 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 tidal behavior um, of that space. And it was really, it was more special than I realized. And then I went on and became a Girl Scout locally. And in a, in a real big moment um, in my uh, early 20s, I summited a mountain through an Outward Bound course uh, in Sequoia Kings. Um, and that changed everything for me because I knew through that experience to trust my feet, if you will, that nature was a powerful teacher. And at the precipice of adulthood, living here in San Francisco with roommates, you know, riding my bike and hiking and doing all kinds of things, you know, I needed to know that I could make it and I could dig down deep and and find what I needed to move forward. I went on and continued to incorporate nature into the life of me and my family and and, you know, life got complicated, and I found myself um, with three kids and going back to school at UC Berkeley. And at the end of that experience, I had this question posed to me by a mentor of what would you be doing if time and money were not an issue? And I opened my mouth, and, and my life fell out. I said, oh, well, I, 
probably start a website to reconnect African-Americans to the outdoors. And we both kind of like leaned back, like, where did that come from? And it was this moment of revelation where I realized that this personal truth had been hiding in plain sight, that it was something that I had understood to be so enriching in my own life. And that as I continued to move into more backcountry experiences, I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted more people to have that experience. So Outdoor Afro just became this narrative online. And the interesting thing that happened was that people were saying to me, I actually like nature too, Rue. You know, this is, you're telling my story. And then I realized that we had a visual representation problem, that when you looked at the popular mainstream magazines that represent outdoor recreation, you didn't see people who looked like me. You didn't see people who were shaped like me. You didn't see people who, you know, were doing, um, you know, mountain climbing and all kinds of outdoor activities that I had personally done. And so we set about to help to shift the visual representation using social media. But then that morphed into this demand that people had to actually connect with other people in the outdoors. And that's when our leadership movement within Outdoor Afro was born. And I'm so proud to say that, you know, we're now like, we're no longer a blog. It's no longer a passion project. It's like what I do for a living. We're now in nearly 30 states, and we've got 35,000 people in our participation network. And and that's what we're attracting, and that's what we're helping people to do to help, um, you know, get their nature swagger back yeah. and to help restore that outdoor sense of, of confidence and leadership back to the home. Yeah, so how does Outdoor Afro actually, or you know, how do you actually facilitate that? Like, what do you guys do? Yeah, so we have, as I mentioned, we've got these leaders who we recruit through an application process. And, you know, we carefully vet people to find out, you know, if we can, you know, find the, the right people in a demographic area like the Bay Area or Washington, D.C., who understand that region, are connected to the people there, have community, they know where to get their hair done, what church to go to, because it's so much more than just getting people outside. It's about community building. You know, we're looking with people, looking for people with passion, and they go out and they are equipped and supported through training and ongoing mentorship to get people outside to do all kinds of activities, hiking, biking, birding. Um, There's orchard picking, whitewater rafting. I mean, there's just a very wide range of activities that people do and this year is the 10th anniversary of that blog, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And just in that time, I have been able to see that needle move that, you know, if you look, you know, on television or you look in some of those mainstream magazines that, you know, I was calling out earlier that didn't have the representation, it's there now, you know. And, and, and really, we're moving into, you know, for me, a sense of ordinariness. Like, I want us to go out and see people who look like America, you know, that everybody in proportion to their opportunity and their, um, you know, and, and their population, they're out in the outdoors having a good time, enjoying all that there is to enjoy and, and hopefully protecting it along the way. And it's no big deal, you know. So we're yeah. working our way toward ordinariness, I think. Yeah, well, uh, to back up for a second, I mean, this is, I feel like, kind of the central question in the work that you do, which is, 
what have the the barriers to entry been for people of color to get out and experience the outdoors and experience nature? Well, I think that's a great question. There are many, and I'll just zoom in and get real specific to African Americans because the African American narrative uh, in this country is really unique, and that. Um, the outdoors um, hasn't always represented a place of safety. It has not um, always represented a place of welcoming. Um, when people are forced to work in the outdoors, you know, that's a different experience you have versus leisure. Mm-hmm. And it begs the question of, you know, how, how, we, how we experience leisure, who gets to experience leisure, who's had the privilege of being able to go wherever they want to go and not have to worry about their lives. And, you know, we've got several different um, examples and interventions and, and and um, examples of resistance um, of those barriers over many, many years. You know, I think about, um, you know, beaches that did not have um, access for African-Americans, um, public pools that did not have access. And I'll circle back and talk more about the consequences of that later. But and then, you know, um, finally, but most importantly, you know, nature and the wild um, has been a scene of violence for African Americans. Um, that is in a living generational memory. Like this is not something we're talking about that happened hundreds of years ago. There are people who are walking amongst us who carry that trauma in their bones of bodies hanging from trees, and the plaintive, you know, lyrics of Billie Holiday's "Strange Fruit" takes us right there um, to that moment in time, not so long ago. And 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 those those experiences are etched in people's memories, and it's it's it comes you know through in the warnings of our grandparents who say, "Are you really going to go camping by yourself? Who's going with you? Who you know? Are you going to be okay? You know?" So we think a lot about safety in the outdoors, and I'm sad to to report that black bodies in the outdoors still isn't uh, a safe place, uh, depending on how and 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 where you look. And I think that we have to find a way to to find some kind of atonement and healing um, of, of those wrongs that have happened and, and to tell new narratives, uh, that, that to love our national parks, to find your story in a national park, you know, that's an expression of your citizenship that I think is, uh, is, is, is very important for African Americans to claim. Yeah. Well, um, you talked about a lot in there that I want to circle back to. I know. I, got, um, I went too far, huh? <laughs> no, no. I, I just think um, this is one of the one of the, the difficulties of maybe seeing this problem today is it's you're not seeing a problem. You're seeing like the lack of something. And it's yeah. harder to notice the lack of something. So what are the I'm, I'm just curious what you think is is going on today, essentially. Well, I think what's going on today is a carryover, you know, of the legacy, the privilege, the access that some people have had that they've been able to pass down for generations, and then the lack of access that people have passed down for generations, you know. So, you know, we're not in a bubble, you know, that can separate itself from its history. Um, But at the same time, I think that there are also some structural issues that I I feel they're having greater um, attention placed on them um, related to, um, you know, outdoor gear. And so I think gear and equipment is one of those barriers for people um, because it's really hard to know what you can afford and what you may already have in your closet. Um, But the number one barrier when I did the 
um, when I did the blog in the beginning and we were starting to get a significant audience, I, I asked people what were their barriers. And the number one barrier, as you know, we talked about people and, and having fears about people and not being welcomed and gear, of course. But the number one reason was time. You know, and that's a really, it's a really universal issue. It doesn't matter what color you're all overscheduled. We all have so much going on. We may be taking care of children or elders in our communities. We may be um, juggling, you know, soccer practice, um, you know, and other social and and professional obligations. And so how do you fit the outdoors in an already over-scheduled and stressed life? And so that's the intervention the, that our outdoor Afro leadership team is solving, is helping to create opportunities that are curated and that help people to get outside in groups so that you don't have to do it alone. Because this idea of, you know, of a person standing alone over a sweeping vista, you know, like that's a very popular, you know, outdoor representation. And that could not be farther from what people would really want to do in real life uh, who look like me. Um, You're going to come, you know, usually you're going to come five deep. You know, you're going to come with your kids or a partner or grandma. And you may be having an experience that, you know, that isn't about you know, summiting a mountain, but maybe it's just kicking back and enjoying a meal together. And these are the things that I feel African Americans have always done. You know, and I've spent some time talking about, you know, some of the um, traumatic pieces of connecting with the outdoors, but we also have in our families this uh, deep and, and empowered connection to the outdoors that Outdoor Afro constantly seeks to call out. And even rebrand some of the folks in our history um, as outdoor leaders. I often cite Harriet Tubman, for instance. You know, she was absolutely an outdoor leader. I mean, how, how did she get people to freedom in the cover of night? Had she not knew, had she not known how to to do that using nature? Um, you know, she did not have a GPS. She did not have, you know, the latest, you know, hiking boots. But, you know, she made that happen. And, and you know, we have George Washington Carver. And we've got, you know, who is a, a fine environmental educator and, and taught farmers how to compost. And, and then we have so many of those folks just like my dad. Uh, who were lovers of the outdoors and nature. And we still have communities that persist in that pursuit of the outdoors and nature, especially in more rural areas. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, there there is a challenge, you know, when you look at it through the mainstream lens. And I think one of the challenges that we're finding is that we have to just change the narrative of what, like, what's what constitutes valid outdoor engagement. Does it count? you know, when you're at your local park, or does it only count when you go to Yosemite? You know, when people tell me, well, there's only like 0.001% of African Americans who go to Yosemite, you know, I'm not impressed at all by that statistic. Because first of all, Yosemite for even seasoned visitors is a challenge to make reservations for, to get to, um, and it's crowded, I mean, in, in peak times. And, you know, if you've never been to a place like that and you don't have the know-how to work the reservation system and it's four hours from the Bay Area, you know, to go someplace where you don't know 
anyone where you don't know what the food is like, where you don't know, you know, what the activities are, um, when you may even work on the weekends. Um, that's a really big ask. Yeah, it's a leap. Yeah, so yeah. I, that's why the local focus is so important for access to me because it's through my own determination to go to Yosemite eventually later in life that you know was informed by so many touches in nature close to home is what made that possible, and not just you know being plopped in Yosemite and and told to run off and enjoy it. Yeah, well, again, you touched on a bunch of like different interesting topics in there. And and one that I wanted to to pick out and ask you about is the idea of 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 like res- the restorative experience of nature being about solitude and getting away from it all and finding peace and quiet or being more of like a communal experience. Um and that seems to me to be one of the disconnects or something uh when I'm reading about what some of the more recent issues are. Um, with people experiencing the outdoors is that there's this, yeah, these these two kind of different notions. And they're not always competing, but sometimes they are. And those are informed, at least, like the, the idea of solitude in the outdoors as being kind of the, the pinnacle of the outdoor experience is really informed by like the, the sort of thought, lo- like wilderness thought leaders like um, John Muir, Thoreau, these types of people. And so it's interesting that you brought up like Harriet Tubman, for example, uh, because I guess I just wonder if you see a need for there to be more of a of that type of very explicit definition of nature that that would come from another like would come from writers, thought leaders, like philosophers that could more speak to like the African American experience outdoors. Yeah, like me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly, I, I'm not you know, trying, I don't think that there's an opposition there, you know, and one of the things that I value, and and I say tongue in cheek like me, because I feel that there are so many nature stories and so many nature narratives that are already there, that we only, if we look, we will see them. And, and, And hopefully using the privilege of the platforms that we have access to elevate them. And that's really what I, I aim to do in my work in that, you know, we have, so, we have so many voices, so many experiences. And that, to me, is, is, is exactly why, you know, I do this work, so that we are not only hearing just this one voice, this one way, or this one era. Um, and, then, you know, it, it, it also touches in on this idea of, like, ownership and belonging and the right way to do nature. Yeah. You know, like... That's a big part of it is, like, the ethics and the etiquette. There are people who have a way, a defined way for how you should be in nature. And it gives literally zero flexibility at times for people to have discovery, to have joy, to have community, to make noise, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and so when you tell people to do it, do it my way, you know, um, it may not be relevant for what people actually need. And I know that um, for outdoor Afro, one thing we've done is we've deliberately used nature as a medium for healing. Um, and uh, you know, we we talked a lot about. The, um, the violence that, you know, black bodies seem um, uh, vulnerable to um, in, our, in our society to this day, where's the refuge from that? And in, 
in a in a moment of of, of clarity in 2000, I believe it was 2014. You know, there were riots erupting around the country around involving police involved violence and. And I, you know, asked myself, like, well, what's the role of Outdoor Afro in these times? You know, do I call everybody to come take to the streets or is there something else? And I was in downtown Oakland and we were all preparing to, you know, businesses were were putting plywood on their windows and, um, you know, helicopters were already positioned. And I was walking to my car and the answer came as clear as anything and it said, you know, you do nature, Rue. Like, that's your lane. And, and I followed that. And over the weekend, I reached out to several of our local leaders and, and around the country um, had uh, a conference call with some of our partners and, and leaders. And I said, let's do healing hikes. And that weekend, we actually took a group of about 30 people and went to the Oakland Hills to the Redwoods. And we started off with some, you know, breathing and intention setting and some yoga. And and then as we were winding our way down to that Redwood Bowl, you know, I realized that, you know, we were not hearing helicopters. There were no police in riot gear, that people were listening to each other, that even though we didn't all have the same, you know, ideas or thoughts, uh, there was a lot of diversity in, in how people were feeling, that there was space to feel it and talk about it. And when we got down into this Redwood Bowl along the stream trail, there's a stream trail um, in Redwood Regional, you know, I knew that we were doing what African Americans have always known that we could do, and that is to lay down our burdens down by the riverside. That is something that we've always had, and that's what I mean about you know the, this way of being in nature has always been with us, and it it was a powerful moment for 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 us to get back to that tradition, get back to that 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 way of being in nature as a source of healing and fortification, so that we could carry on. Yeah, you've talked about uh, the importance of people finding their story outdoors. And I'm wondering what, what that means exactly. Well, I think that your story in the outdoors has to do with your family history, your cultural history, but it's the story you're creating in real time every day. We have this chance today, I feel, to not only tell stories, but to actually change the narrative arc of what success looks like, what engagement looks like, um, what leisure looks like, um, because leisure looks different um, for different people depending on what they have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, I'll tell you, give you another example. I, <laughs> I went on a cruise uh, for the very first time in the last couple of months. And I, you know, I didn't know how, what to how'd expect. You like it? Yeah. Well, you know what? It surprised me. And I learned a lot from that experience. Two things. One, I was able to do all the outdoor activities that I wanted to do. You know, so I snorkeled. I had a chance to um, do a little bit of hiking. I did uh, what uh, what's called snuba, a hybrid between scuba and and, and snorkeling. A um, lot of time in nature. Um, but the thing that really struck me was that somehow they've got it right, in the sense that that place, that you know, experience involved everybody. There was every representation of race, age, gender, 
Um, there were so many different activities that people could choose from to do. There wasn't a right way to cruise. Mm -hmm. There was not one way to do it. You could do it however you wanted to do it. There was, there was, uh, you know, that platform, you know, for people to find, you know, what they were looking for. And I think that, you know, when we think about our parks and public lands, we absolutely can't have everything happening, you know, everywhere and all the time. You know, these are resources that we all have to share yeah. and are um, and, and in dire need of our protection, quite frankly, especially in these times. Um, but I think that we can take a page out of that cruise ship experience to talk about inclusion in a different way and what that means for people. Like welcoming is not just, you know, a friendly ranger face saying, hey, welcome, you know, but it's about having the activities available. It's about helping people to know that they may, there may be several right ways to do it. You know, it's 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 one thing to have participation, and I feel like participation is well on its way. Like, Outdoor Afro has definitely lit a spark where there are now many more um, affinity organizations that have sprung up and are getting people outside, and we're super excited about how there's more people outside. But I still feel that there's a huge opportunity to have more people who look like me who sit on boards who um, are working in the media or in the outdoor industry um, at a director level and above, uh, to be able to be in positions of influence and to help establish policies as well as editorial decisions and, um, and strategic direction. Um, and I think that that's where we're really going to see the needle more meaningfully move and, and move away from this, um, uh, you know, diverse washing that I feel a, is easy to slip into. Like if we just stick, you know, people who, you know, are black and brown into commercials, into catalogs, into magazines that we've done our job. Mm -hmm. But it's more than that. It's about, um, it's about sharing power, sharing privilege, um, you know, moving aside and letting, you know, communities decide for themselves how they want to show up in the outdoors and, you know, and, and and not assume that 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 presence is going to be a destructive one, um, but that it's going to be one that feels relevant and and would be supported um, by by park infrastructure. One thing I wanted to ask you about that you had mentioned earlier was, you know, that this comfort in nature, experience with nature, for a lot of people starts when you're a kid. It just comes naturally to people. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like it did for you um, on your dad's ranch in Lake County. But you're a mother of three, right? Yeah. So how did you figure that out with your with your kids? Like, how did you kind of introduce them to nature? What did you? What were your intentions? Well, I think you know. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. It's it's a generational practice, right? Like if you have grown up doing something in the outdoors with your family, there's a pretty high likelihood that you're going to continue to do those activities or at least seek them out. Yeah, right. And and I think that that gave me the determination to seek it out even when it wasn't easy because by the time I had my children, we weren't really going to the ranch and the, the ranch itself has now passed um, hands and ownership, you know, since my parents passed away. So I, you know, had to create, you know, my own ranch experiences. And I feel that Outdoor Afro, um, given that my children were really young when I started it, was a platform for us to have that community in nature. Um, but 
finding clubs was really important. And when you're in areas like the Bay Area with so many opportunities to get outside from your local pocket park to our state parks um, and our national parks that are very accessible and, you know, often free, you know, they are like a perfect way, you know, to spend time with your kids that is not you know, like going to the amusement park or even the movies. And so that's one of the things that I try and sell for a lot of families. Like when you, you know, when you go out into these nature areas, your kids can run and be kids and you're not having to shell out a lot of cash to make it happen. One of the things that it sounds like you hope to kind of uh, emerge from these experiences is a greater awareness of environmental issues, of conservation issues, of political issues. Um, And so I wonder what, um, you know, when you you think about your sort of broader agenda with Outdoor Afro, how those those larger debates and issues figure into it. They absolutely do. And we recognize that the point um, at which someone decides to either call themselves a conservationist or take some kind of action usually comes... uh, at the end of this kind of narrative arc of engagement. And what troubles me at times is that people want to rush communities to the altar of conservation. Like, you know, we need you, we need your vote, we need your representation, let's go. And I know that my care for the planet, my care for wildlife is born, has been born and raised in me over a long time. And so it is absolutely important to us that, of course, along the way, we're doing our part to be good to the planet, to be good to wildlife, to be good to leave no trace. You know, that's that's woven into conservation ethic is woven into everything we do recreationally as Outdoor Afro, intentionally trained and reinforced. Um, But I know that the point that people actually will pick up that mantle and call it their own will come because they've developed a relationship with the wild. Those wild places close to home, those wild places far away. And I know that that's exactly what was awakened in me. You know, I I didn't, you know, go on one field trip, you know, and decide that I I am a conservationist. Um, And in fact, even the term conservationist is not really something that I feel a lot of people know what is or feel that is relevant you know, in their lives. My dad was absolutely a conservationist, but he would never have called himself a conservationist. Mm-hmm. He just understood, like, you know, living with the seasons, you know, growing what would grow, you know, healthily and appropriately, you know, during seasons and 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 harvesting. And, um, you know, he just he just had this impeccable sense of seasonality and appropriateness of how to be in nature. But he would never have identified. I never even heard the, the of John Muir or of of, of many of the 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 representations of, of the founding of conservationism in my home. You know, um, growing up. You know, so you know, for me, it's about helping to lift up those figures that exist in our own families um, or that go back deeper in history, and and tell a concurrent and complementary story of, of conservation and what that looks like and what it can mean, you know, in your practical everyday life. 
and that it's something that has everything to do with with what's in you know the the decisions you make for what to buy, how you dispose of the things that you that you um, generate, um, how you be, um, who you invite. Um, you know, it's a relationship. And and the kind of change that I'm hoping for with Outdoor Afro is is a a um, it's it's not about how many people we get on a trail. It never has been that. Um, it, it's about changing how people relate to those places and how they can you know fully metabolize nature and the outdoors as something that's not separate and over there, but it's who they are. And so in 2019, we're at the beginning of the year. Like you said, this is your 10-year anniversary. Yeah. What are the plans for the year? Like, what's next? Well, we're going to party, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the whole year. Because it is truly a milestone in so many different ways, you know. As a, a you know a black woman in this conservation space, you know I mean there are not that many of us in positions of leadership, and I'm so grateful that I've been um, given this amazing and have asserted you know myself in certain ways a platform to be able to tell a, this new narrative, and it's worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating all of the volunteer leaders who say yes to outdoor Afro every day, but one of the things that I'm super energized about. Um, is our commitment to helping black children learn how to swim. You know, we have, again, as part of our legacy in this country, um, a very um, troubling statistic that uh, African-American children between the ages of 5 and 19 are five times more likely to drown than their white counterparts. And that stems from generations of exclusion from public pools and coastal areas, beaches, um, where readily and easy access to learn how to swim, you know, just simply wasn't available. And if your grandma didn't know how to swim, you know, chances are, you know, your father, and then now you, and then now your child, you know. So we've got this legacy of, of people not knowing how to swim. And swimming, you know, is not only a life-saving uh, skill, but it is a nature-loving skill. If you don't know how to swim, you're not going to get out on a river. You're not going to put a pole in a lake. You're not going to uh, raft. You're not going to do a whole suite of outdoor uh, activities if you are afraid of the water. And so I set out uh, just last October in front of um, an audience at our annual gala, uh, the Glamp Out, um, that we are going to teach every child and their caregiver in our sphere of influence how to swim in 2019 Um, because it's something we can do something about. And, um, and, and again, we're going to continue, and this falls right in line with that, to not only change the narrative, but change behaviors, save lives, and to help us just be free and joyous in nature in whatever ways are calling to us. That's awesome. Well, Thank good luck. You. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been great talking. I just wanted to say thanks again very much for coming by, Rue. Um, Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, and I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much again to Rue for making the time to come on the podcast. 
If you want to keep up with Rue and Outdoor Afro, visit OutdoorAfro.com. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod next, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is a part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. Our music today is a track called Fuzzy and True by the Mini Vandals, and it comes courtesy of the YouTube Music Library. See you next time.